Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rob with Shut Up and Grind. And this is episode number 258. I'm going to be talking about overcoming childhood trauma and PTSD. And we'll probably cover a wider range of topics also. But if you're brand new to the show, all about overcoming obstacles, we're about defying the odds and helping you clear the path of what is blocking you from what you want to accomplish in this life. So if you're joining me on my Facebook pages live, please like and share because you don't want to keep all this good information to yourself. And if you listen on the podcast platforms, please subscribe as well. That way you don't miss any other episodes. And I challenge you to watch all the way through because if you have something from your past that you haven't dealt with, this show is designed to inspire you to do so because every guest that's that's come on here and i think my first eight shows i didn't i didn't have any guests so it's been 250 shows of different guests that have gone through some nonsense and they were able to get through it and get to a place to where they're having success now so that's what we're here for and my guest today is monica martin joining me from switzerland and we're going to get into her backstory. So thank you for joining the show and taking the time to share your story. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So you said you're in Switzerland now, but you're from France. So what was it like growing up in France? Um, Don't make me stop you on the first question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously my childhood was, I guess, not the usual type of childhood. Okay. Um, I grew up in a very toxic and abusive environment, mm. and my parents ha had a very toxic relationship even before they had kids. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, usually when I'm asked about my childhood, it's like, I don't really know what to say, except that what I wanted as a child is to be an adult so I could just leave. Mm. I was the type of kid who would just daydream all day long about what my life would be like as an adult. Yes. Um, so there were different things. So there was obviously the abuse between my own parents. There was the abuse from my own parents to me and my sisters, which was um, emotional, physical, psychological, verbal as well. So... I didn't know, I really didn't know what it was like to feel safe. Like being safe was not something that I knew. I was always, um, I guess, waiting for the next fight between my parents or waiting for the next hit. I, you know, I, and my parents, they didn't, you know, they were not addicts, uh, which is something that people usually ask me about. Like, were your parents, you know, alcoholic or using drugs? They were not. Um, but they were both coming from um, from families where the father was alcoholic. So they grew up in a very toxic environment and they didn't know anything else. And they didn't try to do differently. Yes. And so the trauma kept, um, you know, lived on through them and then lived on through us, the kids. How did that affect you in school? Okay, so this is something that I would like to say is that I always 
pretended, and I think my sisters as well, we always pretended that we were fine, that we were like a normal family. So that didn't impact me. It's cool. Okay. You know, I guess, you know, some people would think that I was, um, you know, that I had bad grades or um, that I was being, um, you know, that had problems at, at school. I didn't. I started having problems at school when I was around 12, 13. And it's not that I was, it was not that I was trying to create problems. It's just that there were things that were not fair and I was standing up against that. And it's, I guess it's always been kind of like a pattern for me. You know, when I see something, even companies that I, that I work for, when I see something that is not fair, that is not right, I, you know, I stand up uh, against that. And so, so I didn't have problems at school because of my environment. Okay. I just, I just fought for what I thought was right at the time. Um, but it was, let me ask, sorry, let me ask you, you you don't, you don't think it was related because maybe being in that environment and you saw things that weren't right. So maybe subconsciously, maybe you felt you couldn't fix it in your home. So if you could fix it somewhere else, because I mean, I'm not trying to speak for you, but I think the two are related. That does make sense. Um, however, you know, when I was a kid, like, I know, like, my parents or the people around us would say something like, you know, Monica, she always wants to have the last word, you know? And so I was always, it's funny because I was quite outspoken, but at the same time, I never spoke about what was happening at home. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yes. So, and, you know, for a very, very long time, until I was in my, I guess, early 30s, and I'm 37 now, I felt that there was like two me's in a way, like the one who was struggling within with, you know, the trauma and all the things, or, you know, when I was a kid, I was trying to, I was, you know, doing my best to hide it. And growing up, it was kind of like a persona that I had created and that I kept within me. So even though, you know, I dealt with crippling anxiety, I had terrible panic attacks and, and at some point I even had chronic pain. Like no one from the outside could have guessed what I was going through because I was always wearing this mask of like smiling and being, you know, like dynamic and um, confident, which was just a mask. You know, it was just a copying mechanism that I got from my childhood, you know, just to keep going and just keep on living because otherwise, you know, like you're you're hopeless and uh, you you probably start spiraling and, you know, start to have like suicidal thoughts because you are stuck in an environment that you can get out of because you're too young. And so very early on, I adopted this copying mechanism of always pretending that I was fine on the outside. And I find that's a majority of the people that we come across in everyday life. And especially on social media, all you see is all the happy-go-lucky pictures and holding hands, walking through a a garden of lilies and everything is great. But Mm -hmm. then your next door neighbors knows the the real you because they hear the screaming and the shouting and everything else. I mean, mean, it's not funny by any means, but that's what everyone does. I mean, even myself, like like 2022 was a, it's been a rough year. You know, it's been a rough, rough year for me, but I had to get on platforms like this 
and be upbeat, be motivating, and gotta show up for, for, for the people who depend on the show for inspiration. And so it's like, I, I can't let that that show, not now anyway. So like, as we go into 2023, I'll reflect back on the struggles of 2022, you know, but just while you're in the midst of the fire, it's easier to just put on that mask and then suffer in silence. But then just at some point, if you don't address it, boom, yeah. that's when you get, and like you said, thoughts of suicide and th things of that nature start popping in. Yeah. And, um, so I started to, obviously I was always, I was always an anxious child, you know, I was always very, and I think when I was a kid, I had OCD, but I wasn't diagnosed, but I know that I had this kind of habit where I was just, um, I was tidying up in a certain way to, I don't know, because I, I thought that if I didn't tidy it up in a certain way, then, you know, something terrible would happen. And um, I think I was around six when I started to have that. And so I would tidy it up in a very specific way. And, you know, like I never got diagnosed for that. I actually never talked about it to anyone. And I never mentioned that. I think it's actually the first time I'm mentioning this. But, you know, with the years passing by, I was able to, you know, not have that anymore and just realize that. But it took me a long time because when I was six, it was really weird for me. Like I didn't understand it and I didn't know why I had that. And I thought it was weird, um, obviously, because I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. But, you know, over the years, I was able to um, not have it anymore, just with time, to be honest, and and will. So I read, I saw you were, you were featured in, in Medium. And so I, I, I read the article just before, just before we came on here and you said something on there that you, you kind of addressed. I just want to go a little deeper into it. Sure. Where you said you believed you were fine and the abuse you suffered would basically go away. I'm paraphrasing, basically go away, but it made your healing journey longer. Can you just yeah. go a little deeper into that? Yes. Gosh, yes. <laughs> if I could go back in time. I would tell myself, acknowledge your trauma. Do not tell yourself that it didn't impact you. Because the thing is that when I was able to leave my parents' place, I was in my early 20s. And for some people, especially here in Switzerland, it's kind of late because here in Switzerland, um, teenagers start to work. Uh, they do like an apprentice. It's very common here to do that. And so they're paid. And when they are 18, they already have like a full salary and they can leave, which is not the case in France. In France, I went to high school, like regular high school, like I graduated, was 18. And then um, I wanted to go to college. My parents didn't want to pay for college. And I mean, college in France is not like college in the United States where you have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It wasn't anything like that. But um, I, I needed just like a minimum of support. I could have supported myself with like a part-time job, but I wanted to study law and I knew that it was very difficult. And um, anyways, my parents didn't want to support me. So um, I was, you know, just graduated in France, just with your high school diploma, you were not really going anywhere. <laughs> so I started to, you know, work and, you know, just do whatever I could get. So it was just, you know, most of the time it was part-time jobs and with part-time jobs, you cannot fully support yourself. So I was in my early 20s when I was able to leave. And when I left, 
I remember so vividly telling myself, okay, now it's done. This chapter is over. You do not have to ever talk to them again. You don't have to keep in touch with them. You are free and you can live your own life. And this is over. Like this is part of the past. And I wanted, I wanted it to be over with. I wanted to be, yeah, I wanted it to be over with. I wanted to be finished. I wanted to be done. And I didn't want to have to look back. Yeah. And I didn't want, I didn't want it to impact me because I tried as much as I could to preserve myself, like my own goodness, to not become like my parents. And the problem is that it's not that I went through, it's not that there was neglect or there was just neglect or there was just abuse. It was both. And it was almost on a daily basis. And, um, from the moment I was born to, uh, you know, to the moment I left. And obviously when I grew up, you know, they couldn't physically um, abuse us anymore because, you know, like at the moment I became a teenager, I was 14 or something, you know, I was able to uh, fight back. And so that stopped. But there was always this very um, tension at home. And whenever, you know, with my mother, whenever she could um, pick up a fight, then she would pick up a fight. So there was always this en- this environment of lots so much negativity like there was not a positive thing you know we didn't even celebrate the holidays we didn't celebrate our birthdays so just imagine there was not a single moment of happiness and joy wow that's how my mind was programmed you know so um yes the thing that i wish i could tell myself you know go back in time and tell myself just acknowledge what happened to you but at the time i wasn't ready it wasn't until my burnout in the summer of 2021 that I that I had to face it because I had I had reached a point where you know like it was I had to do it or I could not go on anymore and you just have to understand that I had been on a healing journey for about 20 years already you know I started self-development when I was in about 17 uh, and um, and I started like in my early 20s when I was able to leave. That's when I started to do some deep work. But at the same time, I was always, you know, like kind of like staying on the surface, if I may say. Like yeah. I wasn't really going too deep because I didn't want to acknowledge my childhood trauma. And yeah. therefore, I couldn't heal myself. And I've, I really could heal myself you know, when I had my burnout, and that's also when I was diagnosed with, uh, with CPTSD. And, um, Wait, let's, and so when I had, sorry, sorry let, let's, let's unpack that a little deeper, because yeah. I, cause I think that that's where a lot of people stay. They stay in that, in that part where they're like, you know what, this sucks. I can't do this anymore, but they don't know how to take the steps forward. Yeah. You know, so, so what were those first couple steps that you did? Okay, so first of all, uh, I always wondered what it would take for me to actually break. Because I had gone through so much and I was still, I was, you know, I was, I, I kept going and I kept going. But, you know, like I had very bad anxiety. I had, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't well. I had bad anxiety. I had panic attacks. I started to have really, uh, I had chronic symptoms over the years. 
but I really started to have like really bad chronic pain in March 2020 during the first lockdown in Europe. And so, and then after that, the work environment became really toxic. So I had burnout because obviously this work environment, but I also had, was dealing with chronic pain and chronic fatigue as well. And, um, and one day, just one day, you know, I went to work. I remember it was uh, July, um, the beginning of July, I went to work and I just couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take the toxic work environment. I couldn't take uh, my manager's hypo- hypocrisy anymore. I, my mind just broke. And I remember I went to her and I was and told her, uh, listen, I have to go to the doctor. I'm not feeling well. And I went out and I went to the doctor and, um, and that was it. You know, it's just one day I went to work and I just couldn't take it anymore. Like my body um, couldn't take it. And it had been that way for a while. You know, I had anxiety, I had chronic pain, chronic fatigue. But when my mind broke, it was when I just couldn't take it anymore. So the body can keep going as long as the mind is still on board. The moment the mind is not on board anymore, like yep. the body is not able to keep going. Yeah. Absolutely. And pe- for the people listening, like really let that sink in. Let that sink because I felt that moment myself when I was 32. I call it an early midlife crisis. The same thing. I was driving. I was managing restaurants at, at this point. This was before I got into fitness. And I was just driving down. And I just started sweating. My heart started pounding. Like I couldn't breathe. Like I, I really thought I was having a heart attack. And I had to pull off on the side of the road. And I called my boss and I was like, I can't go. I was like, I, like, I, I just can't. I can't go. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, because I was the manager. <laughs> and I was like, so what do you mean? I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I, I really feel like I'm having a heart attack because like I need to go to, to the nearest either walk-in or emergency room. But yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. So when I'm working with people now, because I help people take their stories of trauma and turn them into inspirational stories. But in order to do so, <clears throat> you have to start with what they don't want to do is they don't want to relive what happens. And so you keep all that stuff in. And I tell, tell people it's like have, having a glass of water, right? At some point, it's going to spill over. And it's the same, it's the same yeah. scenario. You keep repressing it, you keep repressing it. And then it's that one day on the job, like that one person says something to me today, I'm gonna lose it. You know, it's like that, that's what happens. But it's really yeah. because all that other stuff is unresolved. And that last yeah. thing was that last drop of water that makes the cup overflow. It's you know? all the buildup. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like I tried like my program is called speak about, about speak about yourself out loud. And the first thing we do is acceptance. It's like you have to accept what happened. You know, it's like the more you the more you deny it, you're just gonna keep yeah. yourself into this into this negative state of mind. So okay, this happened. I'm still here, so it, it didn't defeat me. So how how am I still here? And you just write down just all the things that you can think of that you went through. because of this trauma and so so now you emerge as the hero instead of the trauma being the villain and i think people don't understand that because the more you stay in that negative state of mind the trauma is now the villain that's taken over your life whereas Mm -hmm. when you can get up here and you can speak proudly about it and you create programs and you get on other people's 
platforms talking. Now you're the hero over that trauma. So just to answer your question from before, um, so I, you know, like my mind broke, uh, just broke. And the thing is that two weeks after that, you know, I had, I had reserved like, I had reserved like two puppies, um, like two months prior to my burnout and they arrived two weeks later. I was on sick leave. So just to, um, just want to share that because I know in the U.S. sick leave, like most people are not paid here in Switzerland. It's the case uh, in most Euro European countries when we're on sick leave, we're actually paid. Okay. So, and my company had like a special insurance that made sure that I was being paid full salary. Nice. So, which was, which was honestly a relief. I was really happy about that. So two weeks after I was, you know, I had my, I had my burnout, I um, got my puppies. And the thing is that they were really sick and I didn't know that. And um, obviously there was something wrong with the breeder and they were like really sick. And that, you know, got, got me really anxious and I was alone and I had to take care of them and I had to take care of my first dog as well. I had to take care of myself. And, um, and I don't know if it was because of them or because I've always been like super resilient, but I started doing research, started doing research because I wanted to understand. And actually it was also the summer. So I could not see like a psychotherapist or psychiatrist. All I could see is my doctor, it was my doctor. And so I started doing research. That's when I was, I had to acknowledge trauma. And um, because I learned about trauma and the impact that it had on, you know, like your nervous system. That's when I started learning about the nervous system and, um, Funny thing is that, so it was in July and it's September, late September, I had my first appointment with the psychiatrist because if I wanted to heal, I had to be on sick leave and therefore I had to see uh, a specialist. And so I, I saw him and so I explained to him that I had done research and I thought, I, I was like, okay, this is what I think that I need. And um, it was the worst medical encounter of my life. Wow. He literally, um, like I felt assaulted verbally, like it just tried to make, like make up a lot of stuff. Like didn't know where it was coming from. And at some point he said, you know, this is what you're telling me about your work environment. This is what you're telling me. I don't know the full story. And I went there for help and I was, I don't know, literally like it didn't believe me for whatever reason, maybe because I, you know, maybe because it was an old man and I came here, you know, me, I was 36. I had done my research and I knew what I wanted for myself. I was literally advo advocating for my, uh, for my, like a, my healing plan and uh, probably didn't like it. I don't know, but I came out of that place and I burst into tears because, um, because he said, okay, well, you're going to be on antidepressant, which I didn't want at all. I didn't want any medication. I knew my body was trying to talk to me. I wanted to understand my body. And with antidepressant, I knew that it would just stop the symptoms, but it wouldn't go to the root cause issue and I wouldn't heal myself. So um, came out of there and then I was like, okay, I need to, you know, I so said that's when I was, you know, I was super down, but I tried to reach out, you know, to anyone that I knew on what I could do. So basically I was able to find another psychiatrist and then I 
kind of like, you know, I, I made some sort of plan on how I could heal myself. And so I work with dif different kind of practitioners to, um, to help me overcome that. Yeah. Wow. But I had to really had to advocate for myself. Like I couldn't depend on anyone else. I had to make the, cho the right choices for myself because otherwise I would have been an antidepressant. And like the psychiatrist had told me, you know, he said, you're going to need like years of, ter of therapy. And I didn't want that for myself. Yeah, because it's a business. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's of that's course. what people forget. It's a business. Now, I'm not talking about the entire industry as a whole, but I was talking with someone at my gym at my gym the other day. She was going through some stuff, and I was just telling her how how storytelling can can help. You know, because it helps you get it out. I said I can't help you on the medical side. I was like, that's not that's not my my scope. But from a storytelling perspective, I can help you accept what happened and get used to telling the story. Because I said, because in reality, you know, therapists and psychiatrists, they're in the medical field. Like they want you on on medicine. You know, it's like, that's where, the, re that's where the reoccurring income is. It's in the, the repeat visits in the medicine. Yeah. And I, I'm right now, actually, uh, I've been reading uh, this book by Russell Kennedy. He's actually a doctor, um, psychiatrist. I don't think it's still a psychiatrist, but um, he dealt with like very, very bad anxiety. And um, like on Instagram, he shared a post and he said, like, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, they are here to help you cope with your symptoms. They're not here to help you heal. Yes. Yeah, that's spot on. It really is yeah. spot on. Because like I met with someone <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. She she found her her brother dead last year. Oh. And the scene that she saw wasn't pretty. And so I I just I stayed with her for about maybe an hour or so and we just di we dissected what, what happened and and I helped I helped her completely flip the narrative. I said, you know, you can't change the fact that he's not with us anymore. I said, but you can step into the 28 years you've had with him. I said, and pluck out all the happy moments, all the fun moments, you know, some of his funny one-liners, because, you know, we all got those funny one-liners, right? I said, you know, put them up, up in your gym, put a memorial up in the gym, and then now this is bigger than just that one moment. It's like, you'll, you'll never unsee what you saw, and the pain of him not being here, it's never going to go away. It's like, I watched my, my father die, you know, like, like I'm never going to unsee that moment but I step into the 45 years that I had him and everything that he left behind. It's like, that's, that's the power in the story is the comeback. It's not the setback. It's the comeback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for you, so to now, um, what do you, what do you do? I'm sorry. I didn't write down the, the name of your website, it's but uh, what are you doing now? So actually, after I was able to heal myself with, you know, burnout and um, all the symptoms of, uh, of the symptoms of CTSD, I actually got fired. Oh. I got fired. Uh, and, um, and I was like, okay, now is the, t the right time for me to do what I've always wanted to do. And I've, al I've always wanted to, um, you know, assist people on their own journey. And so, you know, like in self-development or, you know, like um, energy healing. 
And because uh, I had been on this path for, you know, about 20 years already. And um, and I felt that, you know, I had, I really had, like, I really had got the last piece that was missing, which was, for me, uh, nervous system uh, regulation. And that was the last piece that was missing, the embodiment. Because I was, you know, doing different kind of things, but the embodiment, being in the body, and I think it's a, like a lot of people are really not in the body. We don't want to feel. We don't want to be there. Because at some point um, in early childhood, probably, you know, we were told not to be sad. We were told not to be angry. And, uh, and we probably had a radical situation that made us not want to be in the body. And, you know, I have been thinking lately about all the things that I have done in the past, all the therapists, uh, all the therapists, the hypnosis and all the things. Cause I, you know, in 20 years, I tried so many things. I spent thousands and thousands and thousands, you know, just to heal myself. When I think now looking back, if I, uh, you know, had been just able to sit down with myself and allow myself to feel whatever it was that was filling. Cause when I had crippling anxiety, I was fighting back so hard. I was fighting back so hard. I was not able to surrender. I was not able to let go. I was fighting back and we tend to fight back our emotions. It's like when we're grieving, we don't want to feel. So the grieving process takes so much longer because we need to let it out of the body. It's not a mind process. It's actually a body process. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really now really going back to basics and just let yourself feel whatever it is that you're feeling. No, there's nothing wrong with our feelings. There's nothing wrong. And um, it's actually so helpful to cry. Uh, and it's, you know, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you need to be down like forever. But the more you're going to hold back, the longer you are going to feel it in your body and that something is off. Yep. So, you know, just let yourself feel your emotions in the moment. That's the best way to release them. And that's the best way to recover from whatever it is that you went through. And life is hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I said that to my mom once dad passed because, like, my brother came up from Florida. My cousin came up from New York. So, like, she had people around her. You know, we, we were down at the house every day because dad was a big pack rat. And so, you know, we're trying to clean up his garage and just, you know, clean up all the various things that, that he had. And it took it took a while. It took I want to say like two solid months to clean everything up, and and so then my my brother went back to Florida. You know, my cousin went back to New York, and then just before I left the house, I was like, "You need to just sit down on the couch and just take everything in." I said, "Because you haven't had a second to really grasp the fact that he's not here anymore." You know, like mm -hmm. they were married fifty three years, I think. You know, so it's like she was a, she was a kid when they got together. You know, so I think yeah. she, was, she was sixteen. I want to say, and oh so God, yeah. so, but like just just to to emphasize what you said, she she was just busy with processing, and we we had to plan. You know, the veteran salute because he didn't want he didn't want a funeral, so we we just had a quick family gathering. But but she would just had to plan everything. She had to go through, you know, call the credit card companies and get utilities switched mm -hmm. over and just do just a lot of busy work that she had to do. 
And, and it's like she never took the moment to just feel it. You know, and that was one thing that I did immediately because, like, I just accepted the fact towards the end. I'm like, I don't think he's going to he's going to come back from this. You know, he had a open heart surgery and we could just just tell he slipped into a coma. And I was like, I think think his time has come. And so I was just already mentally preparing. But I just came down in, into my office away from, from the kids and just let it all flow. And then, like, just once it all flew, then I was able to step into that gratitude box because it's hard to step into it when you haven't resolved the internal pain, yes. you know? So it was like, that's where I started stepping into. He was at all my track meets. He was at my basketball games. He gave me the tough love when I needed it. He taught us to be respectful and responsible. Like there's so many things that he left behind that I can now be grateful for. And, and now the fact that he didn't live into 2020, because if he did, he would have been alone. Because everything was shut down and you couldn't visit anyone in the hospital. So, you know, there, there was a there was a lot of positives yeah. that were left behind. And so when you can step into that gratitude, like I said, you now seize control over the trauma versus the trauma controlling you. Yeah. And so now I, you know, I, I, I just help people who are going through midlife crisis to find themselves and their happiness because enlightenment, you know, and going through my own process, I realized that I was so disconnected from myself. Therefore, I was scared to go for the things that I wanted. And um, I wasn't living fully and I wasn't living my best life. And enlightenment, that means, you know, being in tune with yourself and, taking actions that feel right to you, not that you're going to do because, you know, people expect you to do that. And, um, yeah, for me, alignment was key. Reconnecting with your true self, for me, that's key to healing, to feeling happier, and yes. to actually being able to create a life that you want for yourself and not a life that, you know, society expects you to have or your parents or um whatever entity or um yeah so this is what i do now and most mostly with people going through midlife crisis because that's the you know that's the key element alignment in midlife crisis you're going through midlife crisis because you're disconnected from yourself it's as easy as that see and i got that from that medium article too wrote, wrote it down said people seek out quick gratification because they're disconnected from themselves yeah you know like for example helped. you want the and you know, like there's nothing wrong about wanting the big car, wanting a big mansion. Uh, I mean, it's fine. The, but the question is, why do you want those things? Yes. Why do you want those things? Do you want those things because you want just to experience what it feels like? Or do you want those things because you can then show them off to other people? Mm, yeah, like, like status. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So... Like, there's nothing wrong about being being like a multimillionaire or a billionaire. I mean, you know, money is just energy at the end of the day. It's just an energy. And it's a, um, like a mean to an end. Yes. You know, to have experience, life experiences. But the question is, why do you want that much money? Why are you so, so driven to get that much money? Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you are happy, you know, with yourself, if you have great connections... Uh, if you are doing a job that you love and you have enough to pay for the bills and even you need to go on vacation or, you know, because now, especially in the coaching industry, you know, because I'm a coach, um, like people are like, you know, you start with 10K, then 20K, 50K, then, then 100K. Now everyone wants to sell you. Every business coach nowadays wants to sell you that you can make like 100K. And 
I mean, fine, great, great. But, you know, what is it about? Is it about you making the money to, you know, just to show yourself that you can do it? Or is it really, your job is really about serving people? What's the point? And I think there's, you know, there's, but that's kind of like the problem with the coaching industry. That's like another topic. But um, yeah, alignment for me is key. Like, and it's really like, be simple, be basic. You don't have to pay like a hundred people. You don't have to pay thousands and thousands. Just allow yourself to be with yourself. But we have been programmed from early childhood to be as disconnected as possible from ourselves. So for some people, it's freaking hard to do that. They don't know how to do it. Like they don't even know who they are. They don't know what they want. They do not know how to simply reconnect with themselves. And, and that's why I'm here. But honestly, now we, I didn't need to coach you that myself. You know, I learned that on my own. But um, having a coach is going to help you, you know, get there faster. But everything is within us. And I know I used to be so bothered when people would tell me that. But just everything is within you. Just stop scrolling on social media. Just stop. Just listen to yourself. Like, just listen to your own ecosystem. Like, what do you feel? What do you hear? And what do you want? Yeah. And whatever you focus on is what, what you're going to get. It's that simple. Like, when I first started with with fitness, it was a side hustle, you know, because managing the restaurant was my main hustle. As I said, uh, I'm a single parent of five kids. Well, I mean, I was... Uh, I was still with with their mom then so like you know we're a, a family of seven and so to step out of the the comfort of the full-time paying job you know to go pursue fitness where it's like i dropped out of college so like i don't have a business background but then but then once you step back and think about all the things you do have because i was like i have been a manager i know how to lead people I know how to how to do accounting and sales forecasting and all this other stuff. I said, so in reality, I just need to learn marketing and branding. I was like, I, I actually had a lot more than I thought. I said, I can already make people feel invincible. I said, so let me just step into that. And then like you, the universe spoke to me as well. And I lost I lost my management job. And so I was like, now I can just pursue this fitness Full, full force because like I said earlier, when I had to pull off on the side of the road, that was when I had my, my awakening. I said, I'm an athlete, mm-hmm. I'm a motivator, I'm a competitor. What the hell am I doing serving food? You know, and there's, and there's nothing against that industry. I was just meant for bigger things. And it was just in that moment where it just hit me. And like, I, like you are not being your authentic self. Like mm-hmm. all, of, all of your best qualities are not even being utilized in here. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? how I felt. Yeah, that's like, how I I'm, felt. I'm motivating people to have help other people overeat <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. That which like an appetizer, yeah. like like dessert. You want a tall one? You want another one? It's like that's what I was motivating people to do to make people un- yeah. unhealthy. And I knew I, I was I was meant for something bigger than that. Which is fitness, which is quite, you know, kind of like the opposite in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna spit out my water on that one. <laughs> All right, so, so let's spend these last couple minutes. So where can people find you? You know, like what programs are you running now? 
Well, people could find me online at embodyyourflow.com. I'm also on Instagram, which is my main social media account, uh, embodyyourflow, simply as that. And uh, I only work one-on-one. I don't have like a group programs. I only work one-on-one because, you know, um, reconnecting with your authentic self and, you know, going through midlife crisis, it's a very private moment. Yeah. that, you know, a lot of people don't want to share with other people. And I think one-on-one is actually more effective. I like to focus my time just on one person and going really deep and, um, you know, being a real support. So I have like my 12-week coaching program that is called Create a Life You Truly Love. And um, it's one session every fortnight. And there's, you know, like Voxer support. Five, uh, five days a week. So, you know, the person feels always supported and is never left alone, which is like super important because I know in my own journey, like I, like doctors w- couldn't help me and I was going to different kind of people, but I was really never healing. And gosh, I felt so alone and so unsupported and really not understood. So I really know what it feels like, you know, when you were looking for answers and um, and you really don't have the support and people around you most of the time, like they don't know what the hell you're going through because you don't you don't even know it yourself. And uh, and I think the hardest part is to have the people who are closest to you not being as supportive as you wish them to be because they just clearly don't understand. Yes. And that hurts. That's that's a tough tough one, and so I have your your website link in the description, so yeah. it'll be across all of the platforms. And Thank just you so just much. give us my pleasure. Just give us one final word. I want you to talk directly to that person who is in your shoes, like they're in your shoes right now, from yeah. wh- where you were, right? And just what words of advice do you have for that person? Create a relationship with yourself. You are going to be in this body for your whole life. You should be your best friend. You should be your own best friend. Learn to know yourself. Love it. Great way to end. Thank you very much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love this chat. And I'll tell you, I loved your accent the whole way through. (laughs) I was like, I can listen to her talk all day. This is great. (laughs) All right. So um, don't don't sign out yet because I want to talk to you when I stop the live. But thank you very much. And you'll wave to uh, to the peeps watching. Thank you. (laughs) All right. I'll see you in a minute. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) All right. So one thing I didn't mention while she was with us is is I also got on on that article that oh and i lost my train of thought come on i had it it was good too i didn't write it down dang it all right so anyway so we were all about overcoming obstacles and she just shared like some deep info into her backstory about things that might be plaguing you now so if you feel like you need someone to talk to reach out reach out to monica reach out to me right there's options out there okay you don't have to keep it inside because at some point it's going to boil over and then bad things happen when you reach that boil over point. So you have people in your corner, so make sure you utilize us and I will be back on Tuesday. Take care. 
You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Till next time, shut up and grind.